Mark chapter 3, verses 3 to 13. Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verses 3 to 13. Reading from the New King James Version. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? So it's a last day type of question, right? Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. But when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Well, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. So uh, these six points is really what I'll be covering during the month of March. But I'll just start it off as an introduction and just kind of touch on them. I I find six six, uh, encouragements uh, that Jesus would speak to us during these last days or perilous times. The first one is to be enlightened or to be discerning. To be enlightened and be discerning. Uh, he says there in verse 5, take heed that no one deceives you. Later on in his discourse in Mark chapter 13, it says deception is going to be so great that if it were possible, even the elect will be deceived. So there's spiritual deception. The Bible says take heed that no one deceives you. The idea is spiritual deception because in verses 6, uh, verse 6, he talks about uh, uh, many will come in my name saying, I'm, I am he. So false religions, false Christ, you're just covering in your connect group. Not all roads lead to heaven, right? And that's true. Not all roads do, do lead to heaven. But that really is the religion of America, if you don't mind me putting it that way, is that uh, uh, your truth is subjective. All religions are valid. Many paths to God. Who are we to judge? We need to be tolerant of all things, except we need to be intolerant to those that believe in objective truth, which is the word of God. Interesting how that works. The next thing I see there is found in verse 7 when he says, But when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. So the second advice that the Lord would give us, and I'm going to go into more detail throughout the month of March, is to be calm, be at rest, have peace in your heart. Jesus says, do not be troubled. But, you know, it's, it's right there on the TV or on, uh, on social media, whatever, the, the wars that are taking place, uh, Russia and Ukraine and things of that. It's just right there. And uh, you see uh, just the horrible pictures and you, you feel the anguish of the mothers and uh, you worry about will that war spread to the rest of Europe and will this be the beginning of World War III and, and what will happen to me, to my family? You, know, you just go there, right? If you let your heart go there, you'll just go there. But Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled for such things must happen, must happen. So as part of God's plan. You have to believe that God is at work. You just got to believe that. That's the only way I know to have peace is when things seem to be out of control. I have to believe that God is in control. I might not understand it or perceive it, but that God has a plan in all things that happen. The alternative is this. The devil is on the march. The devil is on the move. He's stirring in the hearts of these people. Uh, He's having his way. And uh, I mean, that gives me no peace. 
Now, I do believe the devil is working and the devil is moving and moving upon the hearts of people. But I have to believe in the sovereignty of God and the plan of God that God can even make the wrath of man to praise him, like it says in the book of Psalms. And that God can use the devil's schemes and wickedness to further his divine purpose. And we see that in the scriptures all the time. Uh, the book of Revelation is horrible about the things that will be taking place. But all this is going according to God's plan. He has a work in mind. We might not understand all of it, but God's in control. I believe that God's in control. I don't believe that uh, Putin uh, has his finger on the nuclear uh, button and he's going to blow the world up. And God's up there saying, I wish I could stop him, but he has a free will. And he's inspired by Satan. Therefore, I am powerless to stop him because he has a free will and Satan is walking about like a roaring lion and uh, uh, he's just going to destroy everything. I don't believe that that is the perspective of Scripture. I do believe that man has a free will. I do believe that Satan walks about seeking whom he may devour and is a roaring lion. I do believe all that. But God has a way of restraining sin. Do you not believe that? And so he cannot destroy the world if God is not ready for the world to be destroyed. Does that make sense? It's not going to happen. So we have to trust in the sovereignty of God, the plan of God, even when we don't see how it's all going to work out. Do not be troubled. So be calm, be enlightened, be ready. It says there in verse, what is it? Verse 9. Watch out for yourselves. Be ready. The Bible says the advice that God gives us, Jesus gives us to his disciples is, the end is coming. The last days are here. All this is happening. Be ready. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Be faithful. Don't fall into sin. Don't become careless. Don't go to sleep spiritually. Don't let your lamp go out. Be wise. Have your lamp filled with oil. Be ready. Be ready for the Lord's return. Amen? Live as if the Lord is returning. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. So I live in a state of readiness. God, I'm ready for you to return. I'm being faithful to you. I'm, you know, the Bible says when the Son of Man come, will he find faith on this earth? It's, it's almost like a rhetorical question. Well, I trust that the Lord finds faith in me and faithfulness in me and courage in me and a heart set upon him that I'm doing what he's called me to do. Uh, so praise the Lord. So that's the next one is be ready. Verse 10, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. The second or the fourth one is to be busy, to work, to serve, to evangelize. As it says in one place, to occupy till he comes. The gospel must first be preached. So all these things are happening. The beginning of sorrows is taking place. All these things are happening. Wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and the beginning of sorrows and, and persecution and uh, false Christ and spiritual deception. All this is happening. And in the midst of that, the gospel is being preached to all nations. Unprecedented missionary endeavors is taking place. So obviously there's got to be a church that is alive filled with people that are alive, that take the Great Commission seriously, that in spite of everything that is happening out there, there's a group of people saying, we will march or move forward, advancing the kingdom of God, building God's church. That's in our hearts. And the Bible says that the Lord is with us when we do that. And lo, I'm with you even unto the ends of the age. Go in this authority, right? So God will be with us. So we're, you know, usually when these things are happening, what do people do? They began to take steps back and to seek to save their life and to protect their life and to, you know, they, their world gets very small. 
but the scripture talks about the gospel must be first be preached to all nations. Well, how does that take place in the midst of such turmoil? There's people filled with the spirit that are very courageous, that have the gospel burning in their heart, and they're going forward. They're not hibernating or isolating or filled with fear and in bondage to the fears that are taking place. They're not letting their heart be troubled. Do I get a witness on that? So be enlightened, Jesus would say, or discerning. Be calm or at rest or at peace. Be ready, watchful, vigilant, faithful. Be busy or work, serve, occupy till he comes. Number five, be filled. Be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is talking about a group of people, and really uh, the direct fulfillment of that in verse 11 is his apostles that he sent forth and uh very challenging time came, and many of them were arrested and uh, brought before rulers and things of that nature. Uh, but he talks about the Spirit of God's going to be in you. The Spirit of God's going to be in you. And that's one of the things that keeps us in end times is that we are empowered or filled or led or directed by the Holy Spirit. It's a parable of the five wise and five foolish. Foolish. They, the five foolish, their lamps went out. They, they didn't have the oil. And the five wise did have the oil, right? And so the five that did have the oil, that were ready or watchful for the Lord's return or the call. And uh, they went. And uh, so we need to be filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit of God. So be filled. Be filled. Because you will be placed in a situation or circumstance where you're going to need the Holy Spirit's help. Well, if that's the case, then, then I'm going to hide. Well, that's, that's not the call of the gospel, right? The call of the gospel is not to hide or hibernate or isolate, but the call of the gospel is to go. But, yeah, but we're in this... Worldwide pandemic and war is breaking out and uh, it's, there's such troubling time. It doesn't seem like the right time. But you see, before Jesus returns, the gospel has to be preached to all nations. And these sorrows are going to be taking place in increasing intensity. So there's going to be a people that's going to take this great commission seriously. In the midst of all that. Well, that's got to be you and I. That's got to be Cornerstone Church and all the other life-giving, faithful churches that God raises up. There's going to be a people of God that in the last days will obey God with great courage and boldness and go forth to preach the gospel in the midst of great trial and great challenge. And is that not us or what? It has to be us, right? So be enlightened, be calm, be ready, be busy, be filled. And one final one found in verse 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Be strong, persevere, don't quit. That's what endurance is all all about, right? Persevering. Endurance, being strong in the grace of God, not quitting, not stepping back, but strong in God's grace. He who endures to the end shall be saved. I look at it this way. The fact that you endure to the end shows an act of real, genuine faith. It's the faith that saves, not the enduring. But the faith that saves will be enduring or should be enduring. There should be something in you, if you truly believe, that you want to move forward and not quit and overcome to the end. Amen? What Jesus talks about in verse 8, these are the beginning of sorrows. Beginning of sorrows. Let me ask, ask this, answer this question. What are the beginning of sorrows? I got a great definition of it here. I'm going to read it to you. 
Hearing Jesus' description of the beginning of sorrows, the disciples would have been alarmed. Jesus was describing the collapse of the temple and its systems, mass socio-political upheaval, human catastrophe and crisis, and natural disasters. But Jesus encourages them that these things are not the end, but they are the beginning of sorrows. At first glance, this seems a strange statement, but recognizing that the Greek word for sorrows, odonon, is often associated with the idea of labor or birth pains. We understand Jesus to be indicating that this ongoing series of tragic events would merely be the labor pains leading to another event. Once these things began, the condition of the world would continue to worsen until the childbirth was completed. And the childbirth is the consummation of the age or the second coming of Jesus Christ. So it's like a woman. in So the beginning of sorrows is the beginning of birth pains or labor contractions. And obviously, my wife uh, had two children. And so I was well aware of all that, uh, you know, the contractions and timing the contractions. And they're so far apart. And then they get closer and closer. And then they increase in intensity. And then they get real close together and very strong and go through this thing called transition, which is, leads right up to the birth of the baby. Well, that's what's going to take place. The beginning of sorrows, these things that Jesus lists is going to come in increasing number and in increasing intensity, right? Up until the birth, which is the coming of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 21 and 22 talk about the same thing. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So Paul writing in the book of Romans is not only do believers long for, oh, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. We want you to come. And uh, we're just uh, passionate for that. We travail in prayer for the Lord to return. But the Bible says God's creation groans and travails like, like it's in labor for the coming of the Lord. And that would be like earthquakes and famines and pestilence that is in the natural creation. That's ever increasing in intensity and in number until Jesus Christ comes again. The beginning of sorrow. So what constitutes the sorrow? The first thing is spiritual deception or false religions. That's part of the sorrow. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. Verse 6. So what is that? Great apostasy in the last days. People falling away. The love of many waxing cold. Iniquity shall abound in the last days. The love of many will wax cold. And the New King James says, lawlessness will abound. And the love of many will wax cold. Lawlessness. Do we have that? going on. It's lawlessness. Lawlessness. I'm so glad that our president last night in the State of Union said, let's not defund the police. Let's fund the police. Well, duh. I mean, law and order, those are things that God intended. And obviously it needs to be done righteously and, and with real justice. And uh, that when it's not done that way, uh, then that, that needs to be dealt with. But a society cannot function when there's lawlessness. Well, the Lord talks about that. Great apostasy. Lawlessness will abound. COVID, I believe, as this pandemic has hit, has led to an exodus from the church. An exodus from the church. Now, I realize some have great fears and great concerns. I understand that. But I wonder how many will when the all clear comes to them. It's safe to go. How many will return? How many will return? I'm not sure. They have what's going on in our culture, especially in America, what they call the deconstruction of the faith. These people are coming out and saying, I'm no longer a Christian. And they say it almost with pride. And they post it on social media to draw attention. And they get the applause of the world. It's very concerning. Very concerning. Preachers are emphasizing social justice or politics over the preaching of the cross. 
spiritual deception, false religions. That's the beginning of sorrows. It's much greater now as a pastor than it was when I came up in 1985. I got saved in 1976, and it was there, but it is so much worse now. So much worse now. In America, and probably, I'm sure, around the world, this is the beginning of sorrows that the Lord says. There will be spiritual deception, false religions. We see that taking place. The second thing he mentions is wars and rumors of wars. Right? Mentions that in verse 7. Wars and rumors of wars. Kingdom against kingdom. Now, we have in our, in the, in our news cycle right now, watching from the United States, the, what's playing out in Europe and Asia, Russia is a key player in end times prophecy. Ezekiel talks about the role Russia will play in Ezekiel 38 verses 1 to 3. I don't believe what's happening now in their attack on Ukraine is a fulfillment of Ezekiel 38. But we do see Russia actively, right now, in warfare against Ukraine. And uh, we see nations that are aligning with them. Muslim nations, such as Iran and others, aligning with them. China is aligning with them. And this is part of God's great plan. It says in Ezekiel 38, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Meshach could very well be Moscow. And prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And so Ezekiel 38, it's listing nations to the north of Israel. To the north of Israel. And Ezekiel 38 talks about this great battle that's going to take place when nations north of of Israel will come down upon Israel, like it says in Ezekiel 38, to take a spoil. To spoil the nation. Now that's an attack on Israel, not Ukraine, but attack on Israel. But nations north of Israel. If you look at a map of the world and you find Israel and just go straight north, you run into the land of Russia. And I believe Ezekiel 38 is talking about Russia and its allies will, in the last days, attack Israel. I believe that Ezekiel 38, that this attack is different than Revelation 19, when all the worlds assemble in the Valley of Armageddon. That's all the nations assemble there. Ezekiel 38, it's Russia and its allies. I think this begins the tribulation period, and Revelation 19, that final battle, ends the tribulation period. That's my understanding of it. This is what it says in Jeremiah chapter 16, because... You know, when you see events happening right now, what, what prophets and preachers like to do is say, this is that that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And uh, I'm wary of doing that because through the years, I've seen so many of them miss it. When they take something that's happening right now and they get excited about it and say, this is that, that Ezekiel prophesied or Jeremiah prophesied or whatever. We're seeing the fulfillment of Bible prophecy right before our eyes. And many times they, they miss it. But listen to what it says in Jeremiah 16, verses 14 and 15. But the time is coming, says the Lord, when people who are taking an oath will no longer say, As surely as the Lord lives, who rescued the people Israel from the land of Egypt. Instead, they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the people of Israel back to their own land from the land of the north. And from all the countries to which he had exiled them. For I will bring them back to this land that I gave their ancestors. Now, in the Babylonian captivity, Israel was taken captive by Babylon. That is to the east. And uh, God brought them back to the land in the Babylonian captivity. And just because Jeremiah talks about uh, them returning to the land. And we also know that in the last days, God, there's going to be a nation of Israel. And God is going to restore Israel as a nation. And in 1948, that happened. And people, Jews from all over the world, came to the nation of Israel. This passage of Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 16 talks about specifically Jews returning to the land of Israel from the north, from the north. That's Jeremiah 16. 
If you go, like I said, if you look at the world map and you look north of Israel, you find Russia. So I was searching this out. Did you know that in 1985 to 2002, so about 15 to 17 years, approximately 1.2 million Jews immigrated to Israel from Russia? They accounted for roughly 85% of all immigrants to Israel during that time period. Also, because of the recent crisis in Ukraine, 5,000 Jews from Ukraine are applying for entrance to Israel. God has brought his people from the north to Israel in our lifetime. Isn't that incredible? So this, this mass immigration from Russia during that, about that 15-year time period, 1985 to 2000, over one million of them came from Russia to the nation of Israel. That could very well be what Jeremiah chapter 16 was talking about when he's going to bring people from the north into his land once again. That's exciting, isn't it? Exciting. The scripture says, the beginning of sorrows not only has to do with wars and rumors of wars and spiritual deception, but also includes earthquakes, famines, and plagues or pestilences. I believe COVID is part of the beginning of sorrows. Because the Bible talks about plagues or pestilences that will be taking the place uh, on this earth in the last days. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, now this is during the tribulation period, which I believe is a seven-year period. The tribulation period, then the great tribulation is last three and a half years of that seven-year period. I do, but I do not believe Revelation chapter 6, verse 8 is being fulfilled right now because I do not believe we're in that seven-year tribulation period. Okay, But this is what happens during that tribulation period, according to Revelation 6, verse 8. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. So a fourth of the earth will be killed by sword, famine, and disease during the tribulation period. A fourth. So what's the population of the world? Is it six billion? Is that it right now? Six billion? So one-fourth of six billion is what? Two and a half billion people? Right around there, right? One-fourth? Isn't that 1.5? Is that what it is? What did I say? Don't even say what I said. Uh, 1.5, very good, yes. 1.5 times 4 is 6. Very good. So 1.5 billion, billion with a B, billion, people will be destroyed in the great tribulation period by war, famine, and disease. Unbelievable, isn't it? But the beginning of sorrows is going to have, in Matthew's account of this passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 13, Matthew talks about it. In Matthew 24, I believe it is. It lists in the beginning of sorrows pestilences, which is disease or plagues. Beginning of sorrows. We should expect these plagues in the last days, and COVID has been a worldwide pandemic. And I'm not sure what the count is worldwide that have died from COVID in America, died from COVID or with COVID, however you want to say it. Isn't it over 800,000 now? Is it in the millions around the world? Hmm. Persecution of believers are going to take place. It's going to ratchet up in the end times. So Jesus talks about the beginning of sorrows being spiritual deception is going to increase. Wars and rumors of wars are going to increase. Earthquakes, famines, and plagues are going to increase. The persecution of believers is going to increase in last days. It says in verse 9, watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils. You will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And so there's going to be a persecution of believers. Now, in America, we're not persecuted much, but around the world, around the world, I mean, Christianity, the cradle of Christianity is the Middle East, and Christian, Christianity has almost been wiped out in the Middle East, just in our lifetime, by persecution. Right here in America, we have an ever-increasing 
resistance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said a couple years ago that I predicted that the Bible will be labeled hate speech in America. My prediction is still there. John MacArthur, uh, who is a, a pastor, he pastors in California, and uh, he's a very popular preacher. He's Baptist in his doctrine. He's pretty strong. I would say that. A little too strong for me sometimes and how he comes across. And he doesn't like charismatic believers at all, of which I am one. So I had that, uh, obviously. But I have great respect for him in many ways. He's a brilliant man. He's been a faithful preacher of the gospel. He preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, he recently did a sermon on biblical sexuality. And YouTube labeled it hate speech and censored it. Just recently. In America, they're censoring a message on biblical sexuality, labeling it hate speech. That is the beginning of more of that coming. I'm telling you, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. The Bible's going to be labeled hate speech. Social media will cancel, will cancel preachers. Do you believe that? I don't know if you're aware of what's happening in Finland right now. Two people are up on trial of the idea of hate speech. Finland is prosecuting two believers right now for hate speech regarding their views on traditional marriage. So this lady posted some things on traditional marriage or biblical marriage, marriage between a man and a woman, that gay marriage was not acceptable. And so the pastor then uh, uh, promoted that. And so the person that that said it, and the pastor that promoted that as that's being correct, they're now on trial. Finland is also against the use of sin because it might offend people to be labeled sinners. For years, many have warned that Western governments have been overtaken by radical secularism, guided by a disdain of Christianity, and that the slippery slope would result in people of faith facing trial for living out their beliefs in the public square. In Finland, the slide is stopped, the day has come. Yet this is not just a Finnish problem for the Finnish people. With media from all over the world covering this case, it is a critical reminder of what is to come. Especially here in America, when a modern society chooses to push acceptance of radical and unproven ideologies rather than embracing the very freedoms of religion and speech that allowed the West to flourish. It is evidently clear the rot has already begun to set in our side of the Atlantic. Amen to that. Amen to that. I feel it. I feel the pressure. And, uh, but I just, I was talking to a, a pastor uh, halfway through this COVID, so about a year ago. And we were just talking. And I said, you know what? I just feel like pastors and churches need to double down on the truth of God's word. We just need to double down on the truth of it uh, and not to soft sell it, not to uh, give an inch to secular ideology, to spiritual wokeism, as it were, but just to double down on the truth. Now, I did a, a series on Jesus evangelism and how Jesus was full of grace and truth. Remember that series? And we looked at the different encounters that Jesus had with people in the scriptures. He had it with Nicodemus. He had it with the Samaritan woman, the rich young ruler. Different encounters that he had. And in every encounter, he spoke the truth. Did he ever compromise it? No. He spoke the truth. But he also spoke it with love or with grace in his heart. And uh, that's what I think we need to make sure when we present the gospel that we just mimic Jesus. Be full of grace and full of truth, or to speak the truth in love. Am I right about that? But we can't stop speaking the truth. We have to uphold biblical morality and biblical sexuality and the doctrines of Scripture that are necessary for the saving of our souls. We have to hold fast to that. Now, we need to present it in a winsome way, 
with love in our hearts. And I certainly don't want to be a church that is known as being against this and against that and against this and against that. I want to be a church that, uh, that people would want to bring their friends to that don't know Christ so they can hear about Jesus. But I definitely do not want to be a church that, in order to be relevant to the culture, compromises the gospel. Because Jesus was relevant, what he brought works, that's being relevant, but he also was revolutionary. A new way. I mean, he turned the world upside down. The gospel turns the world upside down. And our morality is different than our culture's morality. You agree with that, don't you? So what do we do? Compromise our morality to fit in with culture? No. We have to hold fast to our morality. What the Bible says. Holding fast to truth. Amen? Don't we have to do that? And we have to do it with courage. And uh, if they're labeling it hate speech, if, you know, we, we uh, put our services online and on Facebook and, uh, of course, in social media, and it's out there, and if they cancel us or put a warning on us, we have to realize that they might do that. But the message still has to go out. That's, that's, that's my thinking. That's my thinking. The message still has to go out. The next thing he talks about is family division. Verse 12, this is all the beginning of sorrow. So this is only going to get worse, right? Brother will betray brother to death. A father his child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And so I believe that the breakdown of the family in America will continue. And the destruction of the nuclear family will continue in our culture. The nuclear family is a mom and a dad raising children. That is the family that God established in the very beginning. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and those two shall become one flesh. Adam knew Eve, and they begat Cain and Abel. That's the nuclear family. A father, a mother, and children. That has the blessings of God on it. Now, I believe that the breakdown of the family is going to continue. And that as a church, we need to resist this breakdown and continue to teach and preach the ideal of Scripture. Now, if if it's a single mother raising children, then what do we do? We love them and support them and give them the help that they need. Because God knows that single mother needs it or that single father needs all the help they can do. But we do not say that this is God's preferred way of raising children. It's the nuclear family. It's a mother and a father having the responsibility to raise their family. And let me tell you, moms and dads, God has given you the authority and the responsibility to teach your children. Do not surrender that right or that responsibility or authority over to the state, over to the public schools, over to the village. Because they always say it takes a village to raise a child. You know, it's not the village's responsibility to raise your child. It's your responsibility according to the scriptures. It's your responsibility. You need to embrace that because it's only going to get worse. There's going to be a lot of pressure. That, I mean, that's one reason why uh, Virginia uh, turned to a Republican governor, in part because the Democrat that was running for governor said that parents don't have a right to influence their child's education in the public school. Well, and then the parents got upset and that threw the election to the Republican who said parents do have a right to speak about their child's education. And the Bible absolutely says parents have that right, have that responsibility, have that God-given authority. And that's what the Bible says. And so since the Bible teaches that, do we believe that? We, of course we do. We're believers. What do we believe in if it's not Scripture? Let's not be conformed to this world. Let's be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let's remember what the Bible says, even if it's against the wisdom of this world. I would rather go by the wisdom of Scripture or the wisdom of God rather than the wisdom of this world because the wisdom of this world is foolishness. 
And it does not produce good fruit. And as our culture turns more and more secular and anti-God, we need to resist that by holding fast to the truth of Scripture. Somebody give me a witness on this. All right. So family division, it's only going to get worse. Number five, number six, the beginning of sorrows is the unprecedented advancement of the gospel. That's what we see. It's not sorrow, but that's what's happening during this time of sorrow is there's going to be an unprecedented advancement of the gospel. We read that in verse 10 here. And uh, Cornerstone's mission is the Great Commission. That's our main focus is the Great Commission. Some, some, they have their focus on a lot of things, but I believe our mission is the Great Commission. We pray for revival so that we might be empowered to carry out the Great Commission. We don't pray for revival as an end in and of itself. This is, this is what we're after, revival. Why do we want God to revive his church so that we might be empowered to fulfill the great commission, the gospel. Are you guys agreeing with me on this? That's why. Uh, why do we want God to revive his people? So that they might be empowered, inflamed with passion to what? Share their faiths, witness the gospel, give to missions, to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, and then Jesus shall return. But it's the great commission That's the goal. That's the goal. The Great Commission is the goal. That's his mission. It's a co-mission because we join it. We're workers and laborers with God. Uh, Glad that that Dr. John is on his way to Egypt. That's great. Ron and I have just recently, in the past few weeks, been asked to minister in Egypt, Pakistan, Pakistan, Peru, and Colombia. Just the past couple of weeks, invitations have gone out to us. We have to be wise stewards and open to the Spirit's direction. Not every opportunity is God's opportunity. We understand that, right? Not every opportunity is God's opportunity, so we have to pray about these things. But the opportunity is there. The door is still open. Jesus says, while it is day, what do you do? Work. The night comes when no one can work. Well, if we're in the church age, which is the last days, which is called the age of grace, where the gospel is preached to all nations, during this time, the church age, the last days, the age of grace, it is the time of light to work till Jesus comes. Even though you might see darkness descending on this world, the beginning of sorrows, the ever-increasing intensity of all these things that seem so negative and fearful— Jesus literally says, it's light, it's daytime, it's time to work, time to serve, time to advance the gospel, don't draw back. What, what, do, we, what, do, we, uh, what do we hear a lot of times, it just aggravates me, uh, what do we hear all the time is, uh, you know, the threat of war and economic collapse. And then you got the guy selling uh, the dry food and encouraging you to build a bomb shelter and to store up food for seven years and to get off the grid and to hide. Where Jesus tells you to go and to trust God. When he sent out the 12 and then he sent out the 70, he said, don't even take extra things with you. Just trust me to provide for you. But we got this survival mentality that is promoted many times by preachers and prophets, and I think they're missing the boat. I think instead of buying the property up in the UP and building the bomb shelter and stacking it with food for you and your family, I think you should go forth and preach the gospel, and when difficult times come, you share with others. Don't buy the gun to keep the people from taking your food. Share your food. Because then they'll know we're Christians by our love. We should believe in the lordship of Christ, not hordeship. That's motivated out of fear. 
Is it not motivated out of fear? Well, he didn't call us to be fearful. He said to be calm, be at peace, be strong, be filled, right? Let not your heart be troubled. And so we're living in all this increasing times of challenge and difficulty. But my thinking is, let's continue to move forward, advancing the gospel, fulfilling the Great Commission, building God's church, loving people, standing strong in truth, but speaking it with grace. Do I got a witness? All right. So, uh, well, I'm not even going to get to my first point, which is to be enlightened, to be discerning. I was going to go more in-depth into that. Uh, I'll close here with uh, give you opportunity for comment, because I know I said some challenging things that maybe you hadn't heard or maybe you disagree with. But, man, there's so much spiritual foolishness out there. We, we, uh, I'll just share this. We, we had this, this couple that came to our church for years, like 15 years. And in COVID, they got on social media and found a YouTube prophet that said if your church was a 501c3, which means if you give your contributions, you can get a tax write-off, then you are in a covenant relationship with Planned Parenthood and Satan. And because our church is a 501c3, you know, you give your money and then we give you a a statement, and then you can declare that, he could no longer fellowship with us. That is spiritual deception. That is spiritual deception. Some prophet out there just declaring, that stuff's going to ratchet up. You can't believe the emails I receive and the phone calls I get from people that buy into the most outlandish, stupid stuff. Especially these last two years. Oh my gosh. Just get nourished up with the sound words of faith. Double down on truth. Stay away from spiritual excesses. I'll read this to you. This is Paul's advice to Timothy. He says, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than God the edification, which is in faith. Boy, have we had a lot of disputes. Now, the purpose of the commandment. So why did God give the purpose of the commandment? This is the commandments of God, right? The Bible. The purpose of the commandment. Why did God give us his word? Well, Paul's going to tell us. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. So the purpose of the commandment why, is, to get, is to get you to love people. Love God and love people. With a pure heart, that's with sincerity, with a, with a, a pure conscience, that means you're, you're not condemning yourself because of sins, You have a pure conscience before God. I'm right before God, right? And a pure faith. You're believing in the Lord, but you're loving people. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And so Paul is writing Timothy, who was a pastor of a great church, the church at Ephesus, Some say this church was 100,000 in numbers. So that's a great church, obviously. He says, you need to concentrate on godly edification, concentrate on words that nourish faith, concentrate on loving God and loving people. Stay away from those things that cause disputes, fables, endless genealogies. Oh, there's so much out there. So much out there. All right, I'm I'm getting off my soapbox. Any comments or questions that you have? Last days, Jesus' counsel for us on last days. Any? You're too scared. Too scared. I won't yell at you. 
I'll just kick you out of the church. No, I'm just teasing. Yes, go ahead. Excuse me? Oh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Well, I pastor a great church filled with great people. It helps. It helps. And I surround myself with great friends in the ministry. And we encourage each other. And these are challenging times, aren't they? But let's stand for truth. I'm going to be preaching a series on Sunday. Uh, we just got out of Be Health. It's called Be Rooted. I'm going to talk about how the Word needs to root in us and that we need to be rooted in the Word. Why is that? Because there are winds of adversity and winds of doctrine. And we need to be rooted in the Word. Because of the winds of doctrine, winds of teaching blowing about that people grab a hold of. And, you know, Paul told Timothy, I always find this interesting, endure afflictions, endure hardness. He even says, endure all things. But he also tells Timothy this, endure sound doctrine. Endure sound doctrine. Why is that? Because people want to hear something new. They they will gather to themselves teachers that will itch their ears. They want to hear some new truth, something to captivate them, something that they haven't heard before. And Paul tells Timothy, endure sound doctrine. Just persevere in it. Just keep feeding the flock. Give them sound words. Give them the truth. Don't get off on tangents. Don't try to come up with something nobody's ever seen before. I've got the insight. Nobody's ever seen this. Come to me here in Fenton, Michigan in 2022. Nobody's ever seen this before. It's amazing. I've got a special connection to God. You know, avoid that. That's, that's spiritual pride that gets you lifted up with like that. Stay with what you know. Somebody say amen. amen. Anybody else have a question or comment? All right, let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your counsel to us the sorrows that are coming upon this world. But, Lord, we say in our hearts, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Just affirm that truth. Can you do that, church? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am an overcomer in Christ. I am filled with the Spirit. I am engaged in God's work. I will not be afraid of what might come. Just affirm those truths in your heart. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, and you feel like tonight is the night when you want to give your heart to Jesus, if you want me to pray with you, just raise your hand, and I'll pray with you tonight. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, just raise your hand. All right, very good. I don't see anybody's hands raised. All right, well, God bless you. Go on the grace of God. Be encouraged. The Lord is good, right?